0: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Eighteen, a podcast where we break down the games. We talk tactics. I'm Patrick Duffy, and I'm joined as always by my good friend Rodrigo Plaza. How are you doing this week, Rod?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um... It was an interesting uh, weekend, or I should say, extended weekend. We had games on both Monday and I think on Friday this week. So that was that was fun. Um, it was an interesting weekend. I thought though, it, it wasn't quite the same explosive score lines that I've we've been seeing, which, which was which was I I mean it was kind of good, uh, but it did make some of the games I almost felt a little bit um, yeah. I, I think I gotten in, gotten used to that explosiveness, so. You have to go, things are going well, uh, but, you know, an interesting weekend for, for, for the EPL. How about you? How's, how's the weekend been?
0: Yeah, I think it's getting a little bit colder. And as it gets a little bit colder, the goals are just, you know, constricting. I, I, I felt the same way. This felt more like the Premier League that I'm a little used more used to from, from past years where – there's maybe one or two games that really light it up and then a lot of games that are pretty cagey and physical and, and mm-hmm. you know 1-1, one, 0-0, one, nil, nil, a lot more of that kind of scoreline. We weren't seeing our 4-3 um, or our predicted 5-5 five, five result. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about tactically kind of why that happened in some of these games in particular. But um, yeah, I think sort of the same. I feel a little lower energy coming in this week it's it's not the the barn burner we've had in the past but still excited to dig in and I think um, when the games slow down a little bit it is kind of nice because you can see tactics a little bit more clearly and you can mm. kind of spend a little bit more time ruminating over what the manager is trying to do Agreed. Um, but yeah let's get right into it. we're gonna talk through eight of the games and then go into doing our our match of the week and and close out with some tactical analysis that's really going to dig a little bit deeper on one particular team. So we're kind of saving that game for that time. But I want to kick it to you for our first game, Ron.
1: Yeah, so first game, uh, City-West Ham. uh, Final score is uh, 1-1. So there was a draw there for City and West Ham. Um, I'm trying to remember our predictions last week. I think you might have called an upset for this game. Am I correct? I think you did
0: yeah i think yeah. I think I did call an upset, and I think i maybe he also mentioned that there might be a tie here,
1: yeah
0: it kind of like felt like this could be a look beyond game for city and yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think interestingly enough, it was again Mikel Antonio who was the difference maker, and you alluded to him possibly causing trouble. Um, he scores the first goal in the 17th minute with essentially a bicycle kick. Uh, it's it's maybe like a half, a semi bicycle kick. Uh, doesn't quite get the full rotation in the air, but I mean, still, I mean. Kind of an incredible goal. Ball comes wide. It's a beautiful one-touch cross into the box, and he's there to just put it away. It's just a testament to how well he uses his body because there are a lot of players that you'll see who are big and strong like him. Who are able to work people off the ball, shield it well. But he's not only strong and physically able to, you know, handle other players who are pressuring him. He's also just able to use his body well, you know, to distribute his weight so that he can take a shot like that. I mean, that's an acrobatic move from a from a big man. Um, so really impressive goal there. Um, the second goal uh, comes pretty much at the beginning of the of the second half. Phil Foden is subbed in, I believe, essentially for Aguero, um, who was playing in that central striker role. And Foden makes a run into the box, and you know West Ham is playing with their what we've seen recently: their back five, Agbana, Agbana kind of sitting as that central role. And in this particular play, Agbana kind of gets tied up with Sterling making a run into the box and kind of has a very late shift to cover Foden who's making a run inside and the ball's passed to him and it's honestly a very hard pass that he's able to kind of settle just enough to be able to turn and get a shot on goal and puts it down bottom of corner and that ties the game 1-1 um and then from there on it's, it's scoreless and and the game ends in a draw um you know a couple things to note: One, Aguero is back in is, is again back in this game, starting up top, but is subbed at the end of the first half. And Kevin De Bruyne, uh, who's coming back from injury, doesn't play this doesn't play in the beginning of this game, but comes in kind of late to hopefully try to mix things up. Um, I think my 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 general thoughts here are that first uh, to give West Ham some credit. I, they, they, they played pretty well in this game. In the beginning, it didn't, it didn't look super hot, and I thought a lot of that had to do with Aguero being back in the game. I think credit to you too, Patrick, for calling this kind of early on. The thing I see Aguero doing really well for them is he's making penetrating runs very frequently and kind of in that way demanding that the ball gets played through the back line. And when he's not in the game, and I think you see this a lot more in the second half, They don't have that same kind of sense of urgency to penetrate the back line um, to make those passes. Unless, of course, Kevin De Bruyne is there, in which case it's not being demanded by the forward. It's just being facilitated by the midfielder. Um, And so without either one of them in the game, I think you start to see it get really slow in the second half for them. But to West Ham's credit, they do a really great job of understanding, you know what? When we get the ball into wide spaces, we're going to try to dig deep. And you see this a lot. Dig deep. Like towards the touchline, bring the ball back, and a one-touch cross into the box. And that ends up being the exact kind of strategy that allows Miguel Antonio to get that ball. But there were actually several other very nice crosses that came out of that same kind of play. Um, and I think that was a big a big piece of how they were finding themselves to be dangerous. Now, Antonio does get hurt. He, he has a recurring hamstring injury, and so he's pulled off of the field. And in some ways, I think that that also declawed them a little bit um, and kind of subdued their play from kind of the rest of the game, but a good game for them, I think overall, especially playing a team like City, who's, you know, obviously got moments of brilliance. Um, the last, I think, few minutes of the game, five or five or some minutes, things do open up a bit. West Ham ends up pressing kind of high um, and they end up getting countered a bit. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of more tussle in the middle that leads to some chances from both sides, but. But besides from those last five minutes, it did seem subdued when you don't have Aguero or Kevin De Bruyne in the game, which I think is a big red flag uh, because. You shouldn't need just you shouldn't be relying on just two players to make your whole engine. You know, to be the engine of your entire team. Um, and I was also a little intrigued the sub for Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I believe if I look at my notes here, who did we sub in? I think
0: he came in for Bernardo Silva. Bernardo
1: right? Silva, correct. And I I was kind of confused by that. I felt like uh, Gundogan wasn't really having his best game, and also plays a little bit more of the role I'd like to see Kevin De Bruyne play. Meanwhile, Bernardo Silva is kind of in the same way that Aguero is, a little more aggressive um, in, in asserting himself and penetrating, making runs in the back line or driving inside. And I was a little bit sad to see that that was the switch that they were going to make rather than pulling Gundogan or even Rodrigo, for that matter, um, who are, I think, a little bit more of a defensive players anyways and trying to have yeah. a little heavier attack. But regardless, uh, you know, an, an interesting game, especially, I think, and I think a, a, well, a well-deserved draw, at least, um, for, for West Ham
0: yeah I think your summary was really accurate I think the one piece I would add is Declan Rice is he's a phenomenal talent for for West Ham I think he won't be long at that club just because he is so talented I think he had 100% pass accuracy playing as a CDM against Manchester City and he had I think it was he had like almost 30 tackles in this game he's like really 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 disruptive really um you know, hitting them very hard. Man City, look, looking at them, um, you know, five points or eight, eight points from five games. They have a goal differential of zero. I feel like they've just generally looked kind of flat as a team. It doesn't really feel like there is a lot of intensity from that side. And I've been trying to think about, like, why is that? Is this an issue of personnel? Is this an issue of tactics? Pep is just sort of playing his style of soccer still. I don't think tactics have really changed. Um, there's been some slight personnel changes, but yeah, I, it's weird to say it, but I almost felt like when I was watching City, I'm just like, come on, like, you know, pick it up. Let, let's go. Like you, you guys have the talent, be a little more aggressive, like put push your way into the game. Um, yeah. So I, I think you know it's a great result for if you're West Ham, it's concerning about Mikel Antonio. I saw someone on Twitter, they had the theory that Pep is really focused with Manchester City on the Champions League this year. Mm. And so Premier League is sort of like a lower priority. I don't know how much I buy into that. I think at a club of this level, the expectation is you can kind of do both. But um, it's an interesting thought because City has really struggled in late stages in the, in the Champions League. And so... Um, maybe his his mind is more in that direction. Um, I think we should probably move on to our next game. Uh, West Brom won. Brighton won. Uh, this was kind of a, a a game of two halves. It felt like to me. Uh, Brighton it, it, were really really pressing high up the field and attacking, sort of playing their three at the back. Their wing backs really pushing up. Lampy attacking a lot in the first half. And um, Brighton get the goal off of this kind of it's like a cross in to Lalana, and then from Lampy, and then it bounces back out to Lampy, and he's tr- it looks like he, he he's trying to go in on goal, or maybe he's trying to put it across the front of the goal, and then Ivanovic, uh, Chelsea legend from yesterday, who's back now at West Brom, he's on the line, and he just absolutely smashes the ball off of. Livermore the other West Brom defenders dome piece like completely decapitated him and Livermore hits it in pretty hilarious own goal pretty tragic for West Brom but then to West Brom's credit I thought they were much a better side in the second half and I thought Brighton looked a little bit lost going forward um and West Brom really created a whole bunch of chances in that second half and were able to convert on one of them um I think his name is Carlin Grant. I think he's the West Brom striker. He receives this ball in from Robinson. And it just sort of felt kind of like lazy defending from Brighton. Like they weren't really closing down. The The cross came off a deflection. And one of the Brighton players, like maybe if he had stuck out his foot, you know, another inch, it would have really stopped the, the path of the ball. But Grant gets it at, like right in the 18. And he one touch to, the, to his right and just smashes it home. Um, I thought West Brom... Looks really solid in the second half of that game, especially Pereira. He was creating a lot, chipping in these nice little balls over the top. Um, And I I think for Brighton, this has been sort of the story for them is they play this kind of exciting looking soccer for X minutes of a game, some percentage of the game, but they're not walking away with the result. And, you know, they're struggling. And now I think their battle is less focused on like making it into the top 10 and more focused on, staying out of the rele- relegation zone. Um, I also think my, my one other note for Brighton is just Neil Maupay, as he was given some service in this game, he was given a couple of chances, and he just needs to do a little bit more in front of goal. And I think that could be a difference maker for Brighton playing against a side where, you know, they, they really should get the result here against not a great West Brom side. Um, so, yeah, that draw, I, I think that's, that's a tough result for Brighton and one they might be... Wanting back weeks down the road.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think it was a. I think it was a. It was a, it was a little bit of a grind there, and I, I think overall, as excited as we were for Brighton, I think early on, they definitely have seemed to kind of struggle um, to to have. I don't know how else to say this, but almost to have the stamina in some of these games to kind of see them out. We had, I think, you know, a game where. I remember who that was against where they struggled to kind of find the back of the net. They were all over the, you know, they were all over the attack, but just couldn't quite get the finish. Um, yeah. And and then, you know, like you said, a game of two halves here. It's, it's there's something I feel like just a little bit missing for that, just, just for them to close out. But, but a, a, yeah, a grind, I think, especially, and I think West Brom's keeper, I think, played pretty well in that game as well. I mean, he had some really nice yeah, was saves, great. so credit to him as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I'll take that to our next game. So, our next game, Leicester versus Arsenal. Um, Leicester comes up with the win here, 1 0 uh, against Arsenal. But, you know, I think given that it was just 1 0, I think I'll kind of cut to the chase and, and, and try to paint a, 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 with broad strokes how I see this game going down. I think the first half. Is kind of full of little opportunities um, for Arsenal to score a goal. There's a few opportunities in the in the box. I thought a lot of these actually were in the box. Uh, I like think a header, I believe, for Lacazette, who just doesn't quite make contact correctly and, and misses the goal. Um, and there were a few others that that really I think were. Signic- significant enough with and with the frequency that there really could have been a goal for Arsenal earlier in this game but the big the big thing is that Vardy isn't playing in this first half and, and so in that first half, Lester is looking about it, I think you used the word cagey earlier, looking about as cagey as any team does this weekend, not really finding a lot on the counter and seemingly almost kind of docile about it too, they're not really even looking to be aggressive or assertive in the, in, in the attacking third um, Vardy does come on in the second half. They actually change up, I think, almost all of the forwards. They, they take off, uh, Harvey Barnes, who was playing up top. Uh, and they also take out, I think it's, uh, Turner's Nate last Pratt. Pratt thank you. They take out Pratt, uh, and Madison, uh, and, and they end up switching all three of them and you know not not much <laughs> later than that uh, you end up getting a goal from Jamie Vardy uh it's it's a counter opportunity um th- one of the substitutes who came in I, uh, I don't know how you pronounce his name but Sen under um he, he he's on the right hand side and Ball over the top, he brings down and essentially runs into the box w- against one defender who, who's, who's you know, in a, in, a, in a pretty much a no-win situation. And he puts a, a cross uh, in the air, but about, you know, like mid-height and Vardy is there, essentially alone, but has a diving header to, to make sure that it goes into the back of the net and they score the goal 1-0 and are able to hold it out for the victory. Um you know, like I said, I think Lester played a fairly cagey game here, and I was a little bit, I mean, from a fan standpoint, I think I was a little bit frustrated with that, even though they didn't have Vardy in the game. I just didn't feel like they were really making that effort, but... You know, given the outcome um, and you know hindsight, I guess what I'd say to their credit is that it worked pretty well to hold on, get the get you know a fresh Jamie Vardy and a few other subs up top, and then kind of find your one opportunity, score the goal, and close it out. I mean, it's not the most beautiful soccer or the most exciting or or inspiring, um, but but it was successful. Um, The things I have to say about Arsenal, I think, are somewhat similar. They definitely had their chances, so I got to give them some credit for that. It was unfortunate, you know, and that's just the way the game works. That they weren't able to close on some of those. But again, I'll just put this out there. I I know that they were playing very cagey, but you know, to pre pressing up against Leicester at all seemed like a mistake to me. Um, and and I just again, I think that they they need to try to sit deeper and kind of give up the press, especially since. You know they kind of want to do the building out of the back thing. My thought is let's let's pick one of those and become very good at that. Let's build out of the back under pressure and invite pressure, or let's become an amazing team at, at pressuring the ball on the other end. But trying to do both, I think, is it's it's a lot of effort, and I and I think that it's it's not suiting. I don't think it suits them to press. Um, I also just feel like uh, that party doesn't get a lot of play on the ball. When you are playing the way that Arsenal does right now, Arsenal plays a lot kind of through the wide areas. They don't tend to be like a get the ball to the middle playmaker and then have him, you know, send the nice long ball. It's usually kind of from the outside wings or overlapping runs. It's kind of more direct, which I think is correct. I think that's a good way to go. But Party's not going to get a lot of play if that's how you attack. Um, and so the question is, where is he going to play his role? I think his role could be really, really effective if they were to sit deeper, because that's going to make the field a little more compact. Um, if they were to even kind of, kind of push the ball a little more centrally, so that when they win the ball, they can immediately push it back wide, that's going to be a lot of time for him to kind of be playing in a defensive role, hopefully winning balls and starting the attack just by distributing it wide for the players to then send forward and make the run. So. You know, it wasn't super flashy game for him. Um, I don't necessarily blame him for that, uh, but it's something to think about. It's kind of how they want to get him engaged in the game, given that, you know, he's an exciting player that I think we all have, we all feel probably has more potential than was seen in this game, at least. Um, Duffy, thoughts on, on this game?
0: It legit physically hurts me to have to <laughs> speak about this game. Uh, I... The announcers coming in, they said this like 10 times, and I was immediately just like, yo, shut up. They said Arsenal are undefeated in like 27 straight home games against Leicester. They haven't lost at Arsenal since 1973. They keep saying this, and I'm like, yo, shut up. You are absolutely jinxing it right now. (laughs) Um, I will say I feel like Arsenal were were, were definitely – the better team, and got unlucky here in a lot of ways. I have a lot of criticism of them too, so I don't want to like exonerate the result. They scored a goal really early on off of a cross coming in. I think it was a corner kick. And then I think Lacazette gets ahead to it. And VAR ruled it out because they said that Chaka was obstructing Kasper Schmeichel. It was one of the worst VAR calls I've seen. Like I, I think it's great to call callback goals when their player's infringing, if an off player is infringing, impeding the line of sight of the keeper. Chaka's to the left of Schmeichel, yeah. and the ball is coming in from the right. It's like, how... It, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It should have been a goal. So I think that really would have changed the face of the game. And then David Luiz gets hurt, and we bring in Mustafi, who God knows why he's still at Arsenal. And it's not like he played terrible, but he made a mistake that turned over the ball that led to the goal the from counter, yeah. Leicester. Mm-hmm. Senga's under is a player that Arsenal has been linked with every window for the past like six transfer windows. So, of course, he gets on and assists the goal <laughs> to Jamie Vardy. Like, you couldn't script that. And also, the goal that Vardy scores is Leicester's first shot on goal. Yeah. And they convert. Yeah. And they only got two. And the second one was like a garbage time kind of like... Yeah, like the 91st really...
1: minute or something like that, right? Yeah.
0: And so... I want to say, I thought the back line played great for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put any blame on them. And that's crazy to say for how Arsenal has been recently. But I thought they were all really, really strong this game. is playing too high up. He's a six. He needs to sit back and be almost like a third center back and work his way up. That's how he played in Madrid. That's how he should be playing.
1: Mm. I think that's think like, a good idea. That could work.
0: It's exactly what you're saying. And it, I, to me, this game felt like uh, Arteta trying to get cute with it and, like, over-managing the game. Hmm. He had Saka on the left wing and Aubameyang on the right, and then he would switch them very frequently. So they were like, you'd see Aubameyang on the left and Saka on the right. And I, in some ways, I'm like, it's good to get creative with it, but it's also like, it can also be hard for players to develop interplay if they keep switching their position. Agreed. And then, it, it just in terms of personnel, we need to be playing three in the midfield. And Saka needs to be one of those midfielders. We can't play Ceballos, Partey, and Chaka as our three midfielders. There's no creative spine from that team. Like Ceballos and Chaka are players who are going to play the ball side to side and win the ball sometimes, but they're not players who are going to be doing these nice balls cutting up front. Um, I really want to see Pepe get a longer run of games, getting actual minutes and starting. And then, yeah, I, like Partey needs to drop back. Yeah. I... I will say Arsenal has the second fewest goals allowed of any team after Aston Villa in the league now. We're like in solo position for that. And we've played Leicester, we've played Liverpool, and we've played Manchester City. So, like, that's a solid defensive run. But we've only scored eight goals, and like three of them were against Fulham. So, something oh, needs yeah. to start happening, right? Right. Moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, and I would also say Lacazette needs to be dropped after that performance. The missed header was purely just like him not going for it. He really should have converted that chance. And, yeah, you you know, you, you do that as a striker, you need to be dropped. And, um, I, yeah, this game, it was just like the second I saw Jamie Vardy warming up in my notes, I just wrote, fuck. That's all that I wrote in my notes. Because it was like
1: <laughs> Yeah. You know, I was I was know. just wondering the same thing. I was like whenever Vardy comes on, I all I can imagine is that they're gonna try to pounce on a counter and that's exactly what happened. You know, it wasn't wasn't a surprise. It was not a surprise at all.
0: Um but yeah, frustrating game. I I I think there were some hard breaks for Arsenal, but yeah, credit to Lester. You know they have injuries and they game planned pretty ideally to pull out a really big three points from them. Um, Before I hurt myself too much, I think we are going to move on to our next game, uh, which was Southampton versus Everton. So Southampton 2, Everton 0. I have gotten about a million things wrong in terms of predictions so far this year, but I've nailed Everton, and I feel really good about that. Uh, Southampton, I think are becoming probably appointment television for me. They're becoming one of my favorite teams to watch because they play down the middle of the field, and Everton cannot defend through the middle of the field. Mm. Hamas Rodriguez, we've been talking about how he's the signing of the summer, and he looked completely out of his depth in this game. Um, I thought he had some good creative moments, but he just gets really exposed when you're playing through the middle of the field. And James Ward-Prowse on the other side is like that – real like grinder midfielder who's just going to run like an absolute animal for a whole 90 minutes and totally disrupts the middle of the game so looking through how this game actually played out um, Southampton get a goal in the first half from James Ward Prowse Um, he just gets a shot off I think like right at the top right at the left of the 18 he's like cutting in from the left hand side He has a defender on him and it's, it is a nice, I don't think it was particularly poorly defended by Everton. It's a nice goal. It's a really good individual effort. Um, And then eight minutes later, Southampton scores again. It's Che Adams this time. Um, And I think this time it felt more like what I expected to see this game. And Southampton was really winning the ball in the middle of the field. I believe it's Romeo who wins the ball and then gives it off to Danny Yanks and Danny Yanks um, releases Che Adams and has a nice little interplay with Che Adams. Again, I think coming in from the left side and they have like a little give and go. And right at the, right at the six Che Adams is able to convert. Um, and I, I believe he also put it through the five hole on that goal. Um, Indeed. and yeah, and, and I, I think that sort of like Concluded the game almost. It felt like Everton after that point to me. Going into the second half, they were like, "We're down two nil," and I, I don't know. It didn't really seem like they had a ton of plan for how they were going to get their way back into this game. What were you thinking about this game?
1: Yeah, i I thought Southampton. I mean, I, I I think I mentioned this early on, but i I think we're both in the same boat when you said that Southampton. I think is actually a very exciting team to watch. um I, I said this before, but. It's a very very classic style to me that 442 that they play. They do have these center midfielders who are, I mean the whole team really is kind of a workhorse team and they're going to play the full 90 minutes no matter what you know they're not the kind of team that I see ebb and flow that much in terms of like oh we're down oh we're ahead like they just kind of keep going up there's actually a goal called back I believe five minutes after the yeah. second goal um which was just another beautiful effort it was this very very high driven ball over the back line to Che Adams so I think ends up being called back for offsides although it's it's relatively close and he ends up bringing the ball uh, into the box, but but passes it back to the top of the box, and one of the Southampton defenders—I can't remember who it was—just smashes a laser in from from up there. And I mean, they they were aggressive and assertive, and they just they definitely dominated Everton in in the first half. And I felt like the second half just never—they never really could quite get going. Um, so Southampton totally deserved, I thought, this victory. I think that. I don't know that they quite have the maybe like depth or individual talent to like take what they have and make it like elite in this league. But they're, they're a team to be reckoned with, especially if you show up not ready to play. You know, if you come in to play Southampton and you're off in the first five minutes, they can make you pay really quickly, especially with that duo up top. The duo up top between Che Adams and Danny Ings is phenomenal. They yeah. read each other so well. They play the ball between each other extremely well. Um, they totally understand what roles they're playing. When one drops back, the other one's at the high line. When that the other will they'll swap. You know they're they're constantly making plays off of each other. And when you have a workhorse team behind that. Uh, it, it, that's sometimes the only ingredients you need you know very very solid effort driven midfield with wings flying out on the sides and two guys in the middle who know each other super super well and can finish on goal you know that's that's really that's a very consistent um kind of uh, uh approach uh that i that i think you could rely on game to game and i think we see that time and again which is why it's exciting to watch them so um honestly happy for them to get that win over everton and you know it also shows i think to a certain extent where Everton might really struggle against other teams that play an aggressive defensive role and can shut down someone like James. There was not a lot of play through James in that first half and that that was rough. I mean, Grant, I think Richarlison's out of this game for that pretty ugly red card he had and maybe, you know, he could have added a little more spice up top, but honestly, James has kind of always been, I think, the playmaker since he, he's in these least in these first five, six games, and they weren't, they weren't really able to make the most of him uh, in this game. So credit, again, to Southampton.
0: I, uh, uh, a couple of notes. I think exactly what you just signaled to, Richarlison being out. I don't think Richarlison necessarily like, is – he's not like the biggest threat going forward, but I think they were playing Awobi instead of him well be like not not a great player same caliber and i think that yeah totally not in the same caliber and i think when richarlison is out there defenses really have to give him they have to defend him like they they have to show that they're going to do that but when he's not there they just sell out to calvert loon and calvert loon was a non-factor in this game and i think southampton is just like we're just going to shut him down and if Richarlison's there the defense gets spread out a little bit more the other thing connected to that is in the 72nd minute, Luca Dina gets this rough straight red card on Kyle Walker-Peters. There, I think Everton's strategy was just f- foul Kyle Walker-Peters as soon as he gets the ball on the right and he's making these runs because he was really – he's their pacey right back for Southampton. He's like flying up. So Dina just hits him from behind. It gets VAR'd. It, it goes to a straight red. Um he's going to be out now for three games as well. He's starting defender for Everton. And I, I it, it sort of felt like to me that in the second half, Everton didn't really have a sense of what they were doing. And we're just kind of playing this sort of cynical, like let's foul a lot. And then just, you know, sort of hope and pray something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a really big win for Southampton. And this is a tough result for for everton you know it's still sitting top of the table but a game i think yeah they would also probably want that absolutely all right listener i think we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back okay welcome back we are gonna go on to our next game. I'm gonna kick it to you to talk about your boys, the Blades, the Blades,
1: the Blades. All right, Liverpool, Sheffield. Final score: Liverpool two, Sheffield one. Uh, it was an interesting game for the Blades. Um, they definitely lucked out a little bit on their first goal. There was a penalty kick called thirteenth minute. Um, uh, not a PK yeah not a PK I think we can all agree Uh don't remember exactly the details but I was too ashamed to write them down I think and <laughs> I was watching it and like oh it's not a PK close my eyes okay open them up we scored okay fine moving on um, but it certainly wasn't a penalty kick um, and Sheffield's able to go up 1-0 and this to me is like a Sheffield dream come true because you know, scoring an early goal for them gives them I, – I, I think it can for any team, but especially for them, gives them a real advantage to kind of make – like we've talked about this in a previous podcast, you know, wait for Liverpool to kind of take their chances and try to kind of, you know, just just deny the opportunities for build up, And they end up really doing this very well. As soon as the goal is scored – Um, they don't sit back really they do end up kind of applying a lot of pressure but they are swarming the ball in the midfield making build up really really difficult Um, and it seems for a little while that this could actually become a bit of the rhythm for the game Um, they're like, like I said you know they're they're pressing the ball they're kind of winning in transition getting back into the attack quickly Liverpool win the ball struggle to kind of build up again it kind of continues to be like that and at this point, since they have the goal so early, you know, the thought might be that if they can hang on to that kind of style of play, they might be able to ride it out or even get it a second goal. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't sustainable for the full game um, and not even really for the first half. So in the 41st minute, uh, Ferminos is able to score a goal to tie it at 1 1. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold comes in wide and ends up rolling it back to Henderson who I think in a previous podcast we explained he's been coming out into these wide areas pretty frequently to to help with crosses and stuff so he's he's out wide um uh Trent passes the ball back and he's able to kind of Send this very nice ball into the box. Moni gets a header, uh, but it gets deflected kind of back to the center, and Firmino's there to finish it. Um, and you know, Firmino scores a goal, and I think it's in some something historic for him personally because he never scores. I don't remember the stats exactly, but he he scores a goal, and everyone's surprised. Is, I guess the headline there. So it's one one. He never scores. He never scores at home. Never scores at it's home. at Anfield. I don't think he scored at Anfield in like 2 years or something. It's, it's something absurd, right? Yeah. So he he's able to get a goal there, tie it up 1-1. Um and after that, honestly, build up for Liverpool starts to look a lot better. I don't know if it was a momentum thing. Um obviously also dealing with, you know, some some injuries here, you know, some personnel challenges uh And the build-up, though, starts to look a lot better. They're making a lot more combination plays that I think we're pretty used to seeing in the wide areas. And, uh, you know, Sheffield continues to try to find that cross into the box. You know, it's kind of classic Sheffield. Um, The one thing that they do, do really well, and they kind of do it occasionally for the rest of the half, but they did do it very well in the first half, is every time they send a long ball out of their own backfield, they kind of save themselves they're gonna send four or five dudes all around wherever that ball is landing, so that no matter how good you bring it down, you're under immediate pressure. And they do that really, really well, especially in the first half. And I was like, "Yes, this is my classic Blades back at their shenanigans." Um, but uh, you know, like I said, it, it it wasn't sustainable. They end up tying it at the end of the first half, and the second half comes. There ends up being an offside. Our goal called back for offsides against Salah. Uh, is kind of this beautiful play uh, where Trent is able to kind of pass over the top, um, and it, it's 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 a nice play, but it ends up being brought back for offsides. So you can already tell that things are getting a little shaky. And then one minute later, uh, after the goal is called back, um, Diego Jota scores. It's it is honestly, it, I'm surprised that that that. Sheffield weren't able to do a better job defending this ball. Mane sends a cross into the box, but it comes in pretty high, like it floats in the air for quite some time. And Diego Jota is not necessarily, in my mind, at least the most athletic or tallest or most imposing player in the air. And yet he's able to get up very cleanly and get kind of a textbook header just to the back right side of the goal. Um, you know, which was you know difficult to to save as a keeper because you have to move with the ball, but. The defensive line really struggles to even kind of throw Diego Jota off balance or put pressure on it, and he, he comes up cleanly for that. So that ends up being uh, the end score, 2-1. Um, you know, I think my, my, big, my biggest takeaways are that it's kind of the same old situation for Sheffield. You know, they're only able to score off of the penalty kick, um, which obviously changes the rhythm of the game, but... They just haven't really been able to finish. Um, I think the the strategy they employed to kind of send these long balls out of the back, swarm them on, uh, you know, when they were dropping down, and then kind of play from there is not a bad strategy. It's really just that they need to be able to finish uh, and get and get a little bit more opportunities in the attacking third. If they could do that, it wouldn't really be. I think they could be doing a lot better, but the chances to do this are coming and going every weekend. So uh, I think it's going to be a real struggle. Um, I don't feel very confident uh, about how they're going to find a way to solve that problem. Liverpool is a little slow to start in this game, but once the the wheels started churning, honestly, they, they started to dominate the game. And... I think the one thing that Sheffield's not prepared for, even in their current style of play, should they solve this problem of how to finish and get a and get a goal and open play. They looked tired in this end of the end of this game, and I think that yeah. that's going to be a consistent problem. You know, being able to be fit enough to play that style of play uh, is it's hard. That's hard. It's hard. It's hard to do that, and you either become more efficient. Uh, or, you, or you become fitter, and I don't know that I have great confidence in them getting more efficient. So, um, yeah, tough, tough position for them. I don't have a lot of confidence. I think they might be in a really bad spot as we move forward. Granted, it's still fairly early, I guess, but still. I mean, these are points dropping right and left. This is, again, Liverpool, but still points dropping right and left. That either were games they should win given the, the strength of the opponent, or games they should win given the gift of the penalty kick, or the, or the gift of a call. You know, so it's it's tough. Um, they you know they've struggled for other reasons too. They haven't won all the VAR calls themselves, but uh, still, that's true. Still, you know, it's it's, it's a struggle for them.
0: I th- think what I'm hearing from you is that Sheffield. Needs to go and hit the gym. Maybe uh, get in a couple
1: uh, two a days, my friends. Yeah, or or uh, maybe stop hitting the gym. Maybe just just sleep uh, every day and just get ready for the game on the weekend. You know, maybe they're overtrained. The hyperbaric chambers yes. in there with LeBron. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: I. It's funny you mentioned J- the Jota goal because I looked it up when I watched that goal. I was like, how did he get up there? Joseph's only five ten. He's not like a big dude. No, so not a big dude. And I, I, I can't imagine he's more than a buck sixty. So I, I had the, the exact same thought about that goal. I think my only add from this game on the Sheffield side is just sometimes when you score, like when you concede a goal right before halftime, that can really like suck the energy out of the team. Yeah. And I, yeah. in my limited playing experience, that's definitely happened to me. Where you're like. We're playing a good game. We, we we're up. We know we kind of got to just like hold the line. And then right before the half, you're, you're gassed and, and, and you concede. And it's just really demoralizing. I think on the other side, uh, thinking about Liverpool a little bit, the, the only added piece that I had was Jordan Henderson is such a key component of that team. They look so different when he's there and when he's not. And I know they're, they're missing Van Dyke and, and that will be a concern for them moving through Champions League and moving through the Premier League. But I think he is just such an important player. Um, People sometimes talk about, like, who's the best player and who's the most important player. And I feel like he's a good example of how those two things are different. And you you could say it's Van Dyke, and I wouldn't wouldn't say you're wrong. But in a lot of ways, like when I watch that squad and the way that the tactics are built, he's just – He's so crucial um, yeah. to the way the Klopp runs his system.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do think that in that sense he's gets underrated. I think the role that he plays, I think it's probably layered. It's not just tactical. It's probably an emotional piece and a leadership piece as well. But he he's he's not a bad player. You know, I think his role has been more limited in certain certain games or styles of play um in a way that makes it seem like he's maybe not worth his worth his very you know cemented role in that on that starting lineup for for the most part but you know I think seeing him go out wide into these spaces and become a part of the attack in a new way somewhat fluidly and to do it with vigor and excitement like to be not looking lost not just finding the ball and sending it but like doing it with intentionality I think it's a good example of how he's he's flexible and he can be uh, more than maybe what he is you know or has been in some of the games. For example, last year where it was playing a little bit more of just a center cornerstone you know holding role. So yeah, I agree. I think he's a little underrated. Um, and excited that he's getting to play a little bit differently this year. I
0: think we should move on to talking about our next game. Um, I think this game maybe of all the games this weekend, this game really encapsulated what we were talking about at the top of the show and just like kind of boring, (laughs) like kind of more like what you expect from the premier. League. this is wolves one, Newcastle one. Uh, Wolves are playing a higher possession percentage game. Now it seems like we've seen them enough to say that that is the style of play that they're going to have. And they definitely had some chances throughout this game potence i think of all the wolves players especially in the first half he had a number of chances he he probably should have converted but his you know final shot final ball wasn't quite there um i the way that the game ended up playing out is there's no goals until the 80th minute and then um wolves with a foul in in newcastle's end they put it across the ball comes out. I think it's. I think it's getting cleared by a Newcastle player, and Raúl Jiménez is right on the top of the 18, and he rips this beautiful goal. Um, that's a nice one to watch back. So that is a highlight from this game for sure. Um, it's just such great technique from him to hit the ball on the volley. It bounces that. It, it like bounces once right in front of him, and he just smashes it. So uh, a quality goal for Wolves, and you kind of feel like they 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 took the game here. They're going to claim the three points. And then Newcastle sort of start to press and attack a little bit more, and the game starts opening up. And Connor Cody, the the Wolves center back, fouls Callum Wilson right on top of the 18. And I think it's in like the 88th or 89th minute. And they line up to take the free kick. And Rui Patricio is the Wolves keeper, and he's in the middle of the goal. And the, the free kick is coming from like just slightly off center on the right of the 18. And the announcer is saying it, and the like in the game, the announcer is like, oh, like it could be that we're gonna see the right foot of Murphy and he's gonna try to go near post. And then he like immediately does that and like slots it past the wall and puts it right in the bottom. And I was like, the wall placement was poor from Petruccio, and then he also was like not really positioned well. It's strange, but Newcastle got the goal. I think they also mentioned it was Murphy's second goal for Newcastle ever. I think he's been there for like four plus years. So exciting moment for them. Newcastle definitely did not deserve to get a point or, or really anything out of this game. I think the expected goals was like 2.3 to Wolves to 0.4 to Newcastle. Um, and and Wolves had 16 shots on target. But I think the key piece for Wolves is they only put three shots actually on target. So um, that... that sort of like felt like that summed up the game, is that Wolves are trying to play this like high possession, like much more like attacking, moving the ball forward kind of style than we're used to seeing, and they just don't really quite have the quality up front to make that totally gel for them. Um, and yeah, the one other piece I think is Adama Traore, again, is coming in off the bench. I don't know how long he's going to be staying at Wolves and playing 15, 20 minutes a game doesn't don't really see that as being a role he's going to be comfortable in so yeah keep your eye on Adama Traore there's been chatter about him getting linked with some other clubs in January so interesting to see a player who we generally rate I've I've been banging this drum for weeks now but um it's it's been consistent yeah you have any any thoughts on this game
1: no no additional thoughts I do think it's I do I like I I'm surprised in a not so great way that they're trying to play this higher possession game. I I think this is a thematic like across across the league this year this is how I felt is that you have these teams that were already playing or are now attempting to play this higher possession game um and press the ball and it's leading to situations where they're not able to be dangerous now. Granted, I didn't, I didn't catch this game, so I can't speak to how dangerous wolves were, were from from the ball. And obviously, they had some goal expected goals, so you know it's not the terrible outcome. But at the same time, I you know thematically, teams that have the possession high but don't find opportunities to truly be dangerous from it, um, and then on the other hand, you know pressing the ball in a way that's not all that effective, um, but leaving tons of space behind them. Uh, which is just vulnerable for the counter, and we're seeing teams that counter, just really I think have a lot more success. Um, you know, it hasn't been cagey as much this year, but still the idea of well, we we really look for opportunities to counter when the other team has lost the ball in our half. That seems to be the hotter ticket right now, even if it's not the more popular one. So I think it's a poor choice for them to be playing that way especially when i thought like Triore last year for example was kind of a, a, a game changing player for them and i would like to see yeah. them try to utilize that when like i said i think it's the hotter ticket right now against the teams and the style of play that we're seeing more prevalent in the epl so it's still a little bit um yeah, a little, a little, a little bit weird. Confused. Confused. Yeah. So uh, I'll take this though opportunity to go to our next game, Crystal Palace Fulham. Um, Crystal Palace comes away with the win here. Crystal Palace two, Fulham one. Um, you know, to Fulham's credit, I thought this game was actually fairly even. Um, you know, Crystal Palace is is finding their opportunities from crosses into the eighteen, and they're they're able to kind of bring down and shoot, or or find with the header. Um, and Fulham is actually trying to kind of possess. Into the like, kind of possess the ball more, um, and they don't—they're not as successful as, as often as you might hope. But they actually kind of are finding their moments to be dangerous, um, and and their build-up play really wasn't really wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. Um, so I thought that that was kind of an interesting—it was an interesting matchup because. What I've kind of seen from Crystal Palace is despite how excited we were about them, and I think Brighton and Crystal Palace were two teams I was feeling more excited about, especially earlier on, Crystal Palace has kind of almost, for me, dropped into this lull of trying to find the counterattack with Zaha and I for some reason feeling very flat about the way they do it. Um, it doesn't feel like when they send the ball up there to try to do that kind of counter play that they often support it very well. It's almost like they send the ball and kind of just, Wait to see if Zaha can pull it off again, um, and then when they have the ball and build up, or on the other opponent, you know, on the opponent's half, um, that's not exactly their 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 forte. And it seems like they tend to posture less like that, so they don't do it as often. But when they do, it's also not it, it, it's not as effective. I think I was just mentioning this, just talking about this thematically. It's not something they find themselves being extremely dangerous, um, the position from which they can find themselves find very dangerous opportunities uh, for the other teams or to, to attack the other team. So. I think they're struggling a little bit, honestly. Um, And Fulham, maybe they're improving a little bit. Maybe this is just a good game, a good matchup. But they definitely looked a little bit better than I've seen uh, thus far. Uh, The unfortunate thing is that... uh, the first goal for Crystal Palace comes in the, fir- in the f- within the first ten minutes. Um, it's it's a, a Zaha gets the ball, kind of cuts into the middle, of, into the box, and cuts a few times. Kind of, I think, gets a shot off or something along those lines, and it deflects around. But it cycles back to him, and when it cycles back to him on the left side, he has like kind of this actually kind of pretty no look pass through the line Beautiful. to Riedewald, who is there to finish, um, and that puts them up 1-0 and eight minutes in um there is a shot that goes off the far post from lookman 25 minutes in that was a difficult angle but was honestly a a nice shot and and mitrovich ends up getting a one kind of this one touch second shot that he just skies and honestly at this point
0: he he should have he should have finished that chance yes this is honestly even if the defender did touch it which i'm not convinced that the defender did when I rewatched that, I was like, "Bro, you have to get there before that defender, and you have to finish that." Like, yes. Lookman was really like looked looked like the only guy who who was threatening goal for Fulham throughout that first half. But Mitrovic absolutely should have converted. Yeah, and
1: this has been a, like a starting to be almost a habit of Mitrovic, unable to finish the balls that he's getting paid the big or small bucks to finish. I mean, he. He's been given ample opportunities in the last couple of games to put a goal in the back of the net. And, I mean, I understand that soccer is a game of, you know, of chance to a certain extent. Sometimes people have amazing shots from half field that that win games. And sometimes people just don't quite get the bounce they're looking for in the 18. But this can only happen so many times before you have to start looking for another solution. Um, But Mitrovic struggles there to finish that. Then uh, in the second half, Zaha scores again – or not scores again, but is he scores and, you know, again is a part of the of the goal. Um, you know, I think the attention actually should be drawn though to Townsend. He sends this very nice ball into the 18 for Bachwaii, who puts it kind of one touch low across the six to a sliding Zaha who taps it in. I think he kind of runs into the post there and for a second I thought he might have done some serious damage, but he ends up being OK. Um, but really, really well executed. And all told, Townsend, I think, is man of the match in this game. He is sending okay. nice balls in. He's also playing really well defensively. Like, despite what I had to say about them feeling a little bit less excited, Townsend seems to be the guy kind of carrying the flag in this game. And Zaha is Zaha. So, when he gets an opportunity in the box, he's going to be, you know, selfish in a good way and try to make something happen. Um, but I think it's Townsend who's kind of, like I said, carrying the flag, kind of driving the team forward. So, a good performance for him. Um, so, that's 2 zero. In the 94th minute, um, there's there's another goal. I don't even really remember how it happened. Uh, but like I said, it's so late in the game at that point that, you know, it's more or less a non-factor, uh, and the game goes down 2-1. Um, like I said, Fulham look better in this game, but I'm afraid to say that it's more likely because of the matchup. Um, Crystal Palace just, they, like I said, they look flat. And um, they know, it's kind of obvious what they're trying to do, but that's not it doesn't feel like a team effort. It doesn't feel like a team effort, I think, a lot of the time. And, uh, and that is gives Fulham a little more room to build up and, and do some stuff. And Mitrovic and, and others, I think, just struggle to finish uh, in this game. So, tough result uh, for, 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 for Fulham.
0: I have a question for you mm-hmm. related to this game. Yeah. Without looking, where do you think Crystal Palace are on the table right now? What place do you think they're in? <sighs>
1: uh, tenth
0: that's a good guess they're an eighth mm. they're ahead of both Ch- well actually they're ahead of Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United and Manchester City again that's crazy. very early days that's crazy yeah, um, I that. and I don't really think they've had oh I think they've only played United as like a, a, a big game for them yeah. so they've had a pretty favorable run of games but um yeah I mean you know you get three points, so get three <laughs> points. um so
1: that's the funny yeah I, a I had
0: to, I very very similar thoughts to you um i think the only like piece that i would wanted to add in thinking about this game is just crystal palace needs to think about how they set up against teams that are going to be playing a little bit better of a defensive block and sitting back a little bit more film just isn't Fulham was kind of playing this higher line, and I and I think that works favorably to Crystal Palace hitting the balls over the top. And I agree with you; there was no follow up on that. But I'm like, if Crystal Palace really wants to have like a solid mid table or, or better finish this season, then I want to see them develop their game when they're playing against like a, a team that can play seriously five at the back. And,
1: I, yeah. I I hear you. This this is my one kind of stab. Uh, maybe it's not a stab, but my one comment I'll make before we move on. I. I read an article about how depressing it was that Zaha like wouldn't get picked up by a bigger team this year and how it's just like this whole history of him kind of coming to the Crystal Palace and, and, and how it's just kind of been waiting his turn and he's just kind of faded into the background. And this honestly feels like the Zaha depression tour right now for me in Crystal Palace. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's doing it. He's trying to do it. And everyone's just kind of like feels a little bit sad for him. And it's all just a little lackluster in the end. And, that's 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 when i when I draw that picture of my mind, I think there's a lot of things that feel right, so um but anyways yeah uh, a game a game all the same
0: a game another a game Spurs Burnley uh Tottenham one Burnley zero um I watched this game with a friend who's a big Spurs supporter it's just a terrible experience <laughs> personal experience really had a pretty brutal soccer weekend um Burnley were great in this game. I, I don't want to go too hard on, on the tactics here. I think Jose was very smart. He rotated the squad a lot um, in ways that I think really you know, are minded towards Europa, and they have big fixtures coming up, a lot of fixture congestion. So he switches his, his left and his right back. He brings in Ben Davies, and he brings in Doherty, switches out Aurier and Regulon giving them some time which I think was a smart thing for Jose to do and then Spurs just sit back they don't do jack shit this whole game Um, I think like this is really the kind of soccer that we expected to see from Jose Mourinho and we've seen it moments with Spurs and it's just like Spurs are going to sit back their center backs play really well Alderweireld and Eric Dyer have a great game And Burnley, what they're trying to do is Burnley is just hitting these long balls over the top and trying to hit um, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood and see that those guys connect. And they had a ton of chances. I thought Burnley had so many chances in hitting those guys and in getting these one-on-ones, but Eric Dyer and more Toby Alderweireld were just like up to the task. And throughout the game, they were just kind of physically winning the fight and being able to hold them off. Alvarell got a really bad like head gash in the beginning of the game, so he he had his head bandage. And part of me was wondering like maybe getting elbowed in the head like knocks some sense into him <laughs> I don't think he's a particularly great defender. But he played he he to his credit he was really excellent. Um, Goodmanson is the other Burnley player who had a couple of chances, and I had noticed like right before the half he had a couple of really good. Good opportunities, and he kind of scuffed both of the shots, not really challenged Larice with some serious saves. Um, and then Burnley in the second half, they have this amazing chance, and that stupid giant head, big dumb idiot, Harry Kane, heads it off the line. And it's like, what striker on what team is <laughs> defending on the line and is doing like an amazing header to save the goal for? I can't be ass with him anymore, but it, it's a great play by Kane, and it definitely saves the result for Spurs because not five minutes later, Spurs are on the break, and, um, yeah, they're able to come in and win a corner kick, and then off of that corner kick, Harry Kane gets a header. That header comes off of him, and Son makes this really like nice run into the space No Burnley defender really steps up, and and he slots it home for a really nice header assist to Harry Kane. Um, And that kind of wrapped up the game. Burnley had, you know, trying to press and, like, play a little bit more open and having a couple of chances to close out, but it didn't really ever feel totally in doubt. I think um, Spurs just defended really well, played pretty compact, really sat back, and were just kind of waiting for Burnley to walk into the game and try to hit them on the break. Um, to Burnley's credit, they they also defended really well and, and broke that down and prevented that from happening. And then it's sort of this this kind of one moment um, of, of brilliance from Kane and Son that's the difference maker. So I don't want to praise Jose too much for like tactically masterminding this against a very bad Burnley team. Um, I think what I would praise him for is what I said at the top, is he did rotate the squad and I think when you can get three points and you can rest some of your key players, that's a really, really key thing to do. And that's key to working your way towards a title challenge. Um, any thoughts on this game?
1: No, not too much I want to add. Um, I, I, I continue to be impressed by Harry Kane playing just kind of, I mean, just playing the full field. I mean, I, I, have this thought and I don't know that it's the perfect parallel but I have this thought about the way I talk about Kevin De Bruyne playing on City and how hey you know he's this guy who's clearly being the facilitator for your team he's clearly your best player um I think he's the one who is able to kind of activate galvanize and attack although I think in this game we saw this week you know Aguero also played a role in that so maybe he's not the only one but And I said, drop him deeper, get the ball to his feet more often, make him more of a playmaker. I mean, not a playmaker, but give him more opportunities to to make plays um, rather than playing him so high. And while that, I don't know that has been heard, that advice hasn't been necessarily taken into into, uh, Guardiola's heart. Uh, I didn't know that about Kane, uh, but seeing him play all over the field, I think, is a good example of kind of a simple solution, simpler solution. Like, hey, this guy can play kind of anywhere uh, in the sense that he can make an impact anywhere. He can play with the ball at his feet well. He can make good passes. Why don't we have him play in a little bit more of a role that drops back? And, I mean, him saving that goal uh, is uh, is one thing. I mean, that's just you know a moment in time. But at the same time, I think giving him that freedom to roam has been a really big a really big asset to the way that Tottenham play. And I, I think it's an exciting thing. Um, I'm excited to kind of see how it develops in the long term. I imagine teams will begin to try to shut that down more and whether that will create opportunities elsewhere, or there will be a more, you know, like what, what will grow or evolve out of that, that, that theme. So I'm excited to see that, but not a lot to add about this particular game.
0: On that note, um spurs are going to win the title you can lock that in and you can also lock in that we're going to take a real quick break okay welcome back we are going to talk our game of the week uh chelsea zero manchester united Zero. A nil nil draw for the game of the Stunning
1: week. Stunning game of the week. Stunning. Uh, yeah.
0: Only beyond the eighteen
1: would put <laughs> such an electric And for those who've been paying uh, attention, games. those who've been paying attention, uh, there was some contention before this episode about whether it should be Chelsea, Manchester United, or the game we'll be talking about a little bit later, Leeds Essen Villa. Uh, but again, how can we pass up an opportunity to talk about Chelsea and Manchester United both struggling to score against each other in a full ninety minutes? I mean
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> fat Frank first the gym teacher. Um, I really disliked this game. I felt like it was just coached by two really conservative guys trying to cancel each other out. It just felt like very soft coaching felt like let's play the- let's just counter what the other team is gonna do, mm-hmm. and that's just mm-hmm. that's that's so soft to me,
1: yeah, very brexit, very conservative yes uh i i I hear you this game was this game was definitely um. I don't know if KG is quite the right word, but it's not far. Uh, It definitely was conservative. It was possibly KG. I think the way I would describe this game is you look at the first 15 minutes and Chelsea has the ball uh, a lot more, uh, I think, in the game overall. But they are possessing the ball, but they refuse to kind of step in to the attacking half without first trying to draw – uh, Manchester United out. So you'll see this play where, you know, not play one singular, but just play in general where the two central defenders are just passing the ball back and forth and slowly drifting back into their own half, kind of trying to bring uh, Manchester United out of their own half. And Manchester United, I guess the way I describe it, don't really want to take the bait. Um, they They kind of refuse to cross that line. And so it's very, very kind of slow and conservative as they kind of bring that ball back and then try to swing to the side. Nope, bring it right back to the middle. So it kind of kind of looks that way. For me, having been screaming at the television for Manchester United to play the counter, I was uh, a little bit thrilled for them to see what I thought was like some discipline to not take that bait. Um, it was arguably – frustrating as a fan to watch your team not take the bait. I can only imagine what it would feel like if you were a player on the field being like, what the fuck am I doing just standing here? But at the same time, I do think that this is the way they're supposed to play. Um, The thing that I thought was where they struggled was, especially in the first half, they weren't really able to find the through balls as well. There were a couple of chances that were really big and I don't even, trying to remember exactly when they happened, but there were a few pretty massive saves from Mendy um, balls through to Rashford who just couldn't quite finish, but they didn't have a lot of them, right? They weren't frequently able to make that happen. Um, and maybe if they had just been able to generate more, they could have had that. It could have found a goal there. Um, but yeah, definitely. It definitely was the vibe was Chelsea trying to kind of bait them out.
0: I think part of that for United is they were playing Fred and McTominay along with Bruno in the middle. And, I heard someone call them like the garbage men or the trash collectors. And I think defensively, that's a really good description of McTominay and Fred, that those guys really do clean it up in the middle. Like they were disrupting play, Mm -hmm. winning their one-on-ones. I thought especially Fred was really good at defending in this game. Yeah. But then on the other side of the ball, they're still the garbage men, especially McTominay. That dude cannot hit a forward pass. Right in the right place if his life freaking depended upon it yes and i think that that really uh, like i I think i wrote it down um in the first 10 minutes mctominay misses his pass like like yards off he has four missed passes in the first 10 minutes of the game and you know he's there to give you some defensive spine and he really offered that but yeah, you're not going to create a whole lot when your midfielder is just yards off. Right,
1: so let's talk a little bit about that in term, in term, for this game of the week. So our starting lineup right features a 4-2-3-1 for Manchester United with Fred and McTominay, McTominay holding in the middle. You've got Daniel James on the left and Juan Mata on the right. Um, now, I've been calling for McTominay to be in the starting lineup for a while now for exactly this reason. I don't think that this is the kind of team that plays through the middle very well. I think they should be playing out wide and they should be playing very directly, right? So for me, I think these were great choices. And I think they didn't score the goal, but honestly, and I don't know, we should let's get the research team on this. I don't remember what the expected goals was for this game, but I want to say that Manchester United had some pretty fat chances, not a ton of them, but they were pretty big, and they just needed to capitalize on those ones. And they didn't involve a lot of build-up from Scott McTominay or Fred, but that they didn't need to. So I think it was honestly a great—I think it was a great personnel choice there. But let's look at the other side of the of the coin. We have a start here for, on the uh, for for Chelsea. We have a three-four-three with Chilwell And Reese James playing as the wings on the outside. And I think it was an interesting point that you made last week about Chilwell maybe having sometimes some defensive oversights, you know, him playing in a more attacking role and not always being able to fill in the space behind him. And the back three, we have Aspa Tiago Silva in the middle, and Kurt Zuma on the left. You know, this definitely was one way to try to emphasize Chilwell's attacking mentality Um, because a lot of what he's looking for here are those through balls that I was saying he did really well. So I thought this was also a great choice on on Lampard's Uh, part to play him in that wing role and reese james also can do i think a very similar thing sending deep balls kind of over the back line um and sending them early right not necessarily trying to take it all the way to the line sending these balls early so that there's when there's space behind and reese james plays in this game to my mind kind of like honestly he's been kind of consistent this way really well defensively he's an aggressor he's physical he tackles some really big balls in transition um nobody has a perfect game but I thought honestly he did that both of those wing players did their jobs well where I thought Chelsea struggled was Christian Pulisic uh was in the starting lineup and so was Kai Havertz uh both kind of a little bit tighter in behind Timo Werner um but essentially a 3-4-3 and I have some notes about both of them um I think that Pulisic is a good player when you're able to meet him with the ball into space behind. But I just sometimes I don't really see his ability coming to fruition to create combination play with the other players around him. You know? It's not always a solo effort by any means, but he kind of always needs to be guy on the end of the combination, <laughs> you know, not at the beginning or the guy in the middle of it. Um, and I thought that he kinda of struggled to make an impact that way. Kai Havertz also, I think, plays the ball too frequently to feet. Like Timo Werner's making a run and he plays the ball to his feet on the run. And that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Timo Werner plays pretty well, I think, in the space behind. And a through ball that penetrates would be good rather than one that goes directly to feet. Yeah, can
0: I say something about that? We were in a group chat talking about exactly this thing. I just kind of feel like Kai Havertz stinks. Like, I haven't (laughs) seen anything. He had that one nice game against Barnsley, and I'm like, I'm glad you can beat a championship team guy, but I want to see you actually play in the Premier League. And I I have a lot of tolerance for players who are clearly, like, figuring out position and figuring out spacing and not necessarily making the right runs. They're getting used to the team. They're building into the system. They're figuring that out. But – The guy, like you said, missing passes, like hitting passes at runners to where they were rather than where they're going to go. And it's like, that's what you're supposed to do. And that is not different from when you were at Bayer Leverkusen. Like those things, there's a straight line there. And yeah, you don't know exactly how people like to play and how people exactly like to make their runs. You develop chemistry. All those things are true. But I just saw again and again with him in this game, like... Simple balls that should be played into space the right way. He doesn't hit them properly. And I'm like, how how much were you? Like, I want to go back and just like mm-hmm. check transfer market yeah. and laugh at Chelsea. Because I, I thought he struggled with that. The other player who I thought really struggled in this game was N'Golo Kante. And I think that's not a player who I'm used to yeah. having criticism. But this has been kind of a hard season for him. There were a lot of moments where Chelsea was starting to build up and Conte was missing passes. I, I, I will say when they were playing in the defensive third and United was pressing at times, like they were putting Mata and Rashford and James up and really trying to press Chelsea in the back. Chelsea just like walked through United's press this whole game. And they were really able to pass through it really nicely. And N'Golo Conte was involved in that quite frequently. It felt like he was really comfortable in that quick one touch passing in that space but then for whatever reason when it got into the the attacking half or even into like the middle third of the pitch he really struggled to connect with other players and
1: yeah um, he had some pretty poor mispasses you know that should have been fairly straightforward i thought it,
0: um, uncharacteristic for him mm-hmm. but uh, yeah i i think on on the united side of the ball when you were talking about how they're setting up with that um 4231 which i think is it's kind of out of necessity because Anthony Martial can't play in this game. He's on. He's suspended from the red card. I sort of thought that this would be the game that maybe Edison Cavani would start, and he would start up top, and then you play Rashford on, on the wing, because Dan James is, I, I'm pretty sure he's historically played as a right winger for United, and he was playing on the left, and... He also sucks, so I don't really know, like, why you would be starting him in a Premier League game, especially against a Big Six team. Like, he runs hard. Uh, I, I was watching Mark Goldbridge when, when I was watching this game. When I watch United, I turn off commentary and I turn on him. And he said this, and it was so on point. He was just like, I really feel for Dan James because that kid really plays so hard. And you could tell he, he's, like, living his dream and really wants to play hard for United. And, like, I want it to work out for him. I really do. But some people just don't really have the quality. And, like, he doesn't have the quality. <laughs> he, like, had one chance in this game early in the first half or, in like, midway through the first half. But other than that, I thought he looked really out of his depth.
1: Yeah. I i I think that overall the, the big thing is if you're going to sit deep, right, what's everybody's job, right? If you're going to sit j- deep and what's the job that everyone's supposed to do here – The jobs are the back line needs to essentially play extremely consistently. They need to make sure that there are no opportunities. Nobody is driving into their 18 free with a shot. You got two garbage men in front of them. They need to be locking down as well, essentially trying to filter out as many possible opportunities as they can so the defensive line has less work to do. Then you need a playmaker, in, or you don't need this, but you can have, and they do, a playmaker and someone like Bruno Fernandes to get the ball and to essentially very quickly look for three balls because what you want is for this 4-2-3-1, which you could also call a 4-5-1, to become a 4-3-3 as soon as possible because that's what you want on the attack. Now, if that's the case, you've got these two wing players in that three who essentially need to, in one way or another, get involved in the attack, but likely with speed. And through balls, and if you give them the ball earlier on, like like essentially with space to dribble into, then they're either going to need to get get rid of the ball right away to a target forward or the opposite side, or they need to be able to dribble on the line and take people down. Um, and I don't know. I think Daniel James does okay when he has the ball in space, you know, behind the defense but so does pretty much anybody. I mean, that's like the dream place to get it. Um, I don't think of Daniel James as the kind of guy who sends really nice 45 yard diagonal balls to the opposite side early in transition play to make it, you know, a counter on the opposite side. Right. And I don't necessarily think of him as the guy who can dribble a lot of people. I mean, (laughs) it depends on the opponent and obviously where the ball is placed. That's a big part of that, but I don't necessarily think of that either. So, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle. He's fast, though, and so I understand the pick that way. He's quick, so you know maybe he can make the most of a of, of a poorly timed decision from a defender. Um, That's true. And 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 Rashford playing up top, you know, I think totally makes sense given the personnel that they had available and 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 in general his speed. But the one thing you can do there that doesn't have to be raw speed, although it can be, is you can play somebody who's a little bit more physical. And this is actually kind of funny. What I would love to see. Is someone like Lukaku playing in that role, or Mikel Antonio playing a more physical yeah. role up there? Because then that guy's a threat. That what does it do? It draws defensive centrally, so that those wing players have more space to play in. Um, but instead, you have somebody fast. And that's fine. You can have three very fast players playing all those roles. So I don't. I like. I like the picks for the most part. There. The thing I I felt like came out of this game, was who was going to take the bait? Was Chelsea going to find themselves, fuck it. You know what, they're not coming out, we're just going to charge in and try to see if we can build something in their half and score. Uh, or are they going to bait them out and have find the counter over the top? And all told, I think that neither of them was really able to effectively bait the other one. Um, Werner doesn't get a ton in this game, and for me it's all about the lack of of, of essentially of of, he didn't get fed by people like Kay Havertz. And the thing that I have a problem with Kai Havertz is if you're going to get, if you're going to be a big part of the offensive role in this 3-4-3, then when you get the ball and you're not necessarily in the 18, you either need to take people on, draw defenders to you so that you can get rid of the ball to people who are open, or you have to send nice through balls that are in space for people to run into because you have to penetrate. You have to penetrate the defensive line. It's not effective to move with the ball in front of it. That doesn't – unless you end up shooting a beautiful goal or having a beautiful shot that scores from out there, then it doesn't do anything. And his pass is defeat and then a few times when he had one-on-ones that he didn't really look to, to, to dive into, there was at least a couple where he was one-on-one with like Fred. And I don't – you know, whatever Fred's form might be, when you have one on one with a trash guy in transition, and, and you don't have any plate, go you gotta go take him on. You gotta go take him on. You know, and he's not the most physical player either. For me, maybe I don't know. I don't know if if I'm. You know, this is my this is my. I don't think it's that hot. But my take is, I started this game. I think I take off uh, Christian Pulisic. Maybe I don't. Maybe I start him, but I take him off and I swap him for uh, Hudson O'Doy. I take off Three. Kai Havertz and I put in uh and I put in Ziyech uh and and I think you might solve some of these problems because Zieg is the kind of guy that can do both of the things that I just described. He can absolutely sauce a dude. He can hit it with his right and his left foot, so the defender has to kind of constantly be transitioning for that. And he can send beautiful crosses and balls into space for someone like Werner. Not only that, but he can send those balls all the way across to the other side for your other for your other you know left forward or whatever you want to think about it, which would be you know Pulisic or or it would be Calvin Hudson, Cal- Calvin Hudson and O'doy and i think you need a playmaker kind of type in there and i think kai havertz could do it technically as an individual I, but he just he he he's not right now he's not right this now not. he's not really doing yeah. it he's not really doing it the things i liked about this and i'll come back to him again chilwell and Reese james i actually thought those were great roles for them i think playing 3-4-3 three, three this way is actually a great look for chelsea um and i hope they keep doing it i think they just need to Ziyech got, I think, six minutes in this game. He comes in at, in the last, you know, whatever few... Nothing. Yeah, you know. nothing. He gets, like, yeah, nine minutes of play here, um, which I thought was... I don't know if maybe it's still the injury worry, and if it is, like, I understand the concern. But if it's not, if it's really just, like, a trying to find the best players for the fit, then honestly, this is this is what's silly to me. He needs to get a bigger opportunity to play some minutes. Um, So, that... that and swapping out Werner for Tammy Abram was, to me, a nothing sub. The problem is you're not getting service up top. Changing your, your target forward didn't mean a whole lot, I thought, in this game. so
0: I, I think Frank has a history. He did this a lot with Pulisic. When a player is coming back from injury, he really tries to ease them in. So I think it probably is what, mm-hmm. you're, what you were suggesting. I, I kind of feel like Tammy Abraham starts, and if he doesn't start like, it, like it, it's Werner or Tammy Abraham is your starter depending on the game and the sub you bring in should be Olivier Giroud because I think the dimension that Giroud has that neither of them particularly have is Giroud's good in the air he's good from set pieces he's like a, a really smart veteran player who can kind of create those chances that those two guys can't and so I feel like when when you go tammy for Werner, like you're saying it's re- it really feels kind of like for like i know they're not the same player but like i would like right. if, if i'm trying to, to to close out do something different i'm, I'm doing that right
1: at least at least change the approach right i think yeah. what you're saying exactly what i'm trying to say changing those two players meant very little to me because i didn't think they would approach the play very differently And the reason why Werner wasn't making a whole lot happen was because I didn't think he was getting a whole lot, you know?
0: And it's not like Werner is like a poor fitness guy. Like, he can play 90 minutes, no
1: problem.
0: 100%. 100%. Uh, We've gone now like 12, 13 minutes, and we haven't talked about the controversy from the first half. Oh, my God. Harry Maguire. Absolute horseshit. Hugging Azpilicueta, tackling him like he was a Greek police officer. (laughs) absolutely absurd
1: and a little of, arm around the neck around the neck absurd
0: i i in when i watch it live to be fair i didn't see it like I, I i was like it looked like you know physical kind of pushing that happens in a corner listener if you didn't catch this what we're talking about is in the 40th minute there's a corner kick and harry Maguire just is like all over aspa the the chelsea defender who's clear on goal who really he did have a chance um And then, like, the announcers both were sort of like, oh, like, that kind of maybe looked like it was a foul on Maguire. And and then they showed it again. And then I think that it got sent to VAR. It was confusing what they were saying. But somehow it looked at it and didn't say that that was a penalty. It's like, what on earth? Yeah, It, it, to me, was as clear as possible that that's a penalty. I
1: believe they passed on the VAR check altogether. I believe that's what happened. I'm not 100% sure. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if they didn't, I cannot understand what was missing. I mean, they made this point. uh, The commentators made this point that, you know, when you go for a ball in the air. I think, at least culturally, we understand there's a lot of physicality there. Arms are on each other, and it's often hard to understand who initiated contact, right? Like, who started the grabbing, because both people are, like, holding each other's shirts. But in this situation, Aspilicueta is completely turned. His back is completely turned. There's no possible way that he's holding or pulling on Maguire. Maguire is coming from behind him, an arm over one shoulder and under his neck and the other around his waist. I mean... There's just no way that you can't see that and see who is initiating this contact. Totally. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not up for debate. That is an absolute, I mean, absolute penalty kick. It's a penalty kick. It's a, probably a yellow card. It's not. It's a dangerous play. I mean, grabbing someone around the neck is never. safe thing to do so i think at least a yellow um and i couldn't believe that that got that that got away uh from from var if it it was checked or not you know like clearly an opportunity to score and i mean no no evidence no further evidence needed i mean smoking gun in his hand you know what i mean like I, i couldn't believe that that was that that was lit up that should have absolutely been a penalty kick and, and and a goal, hopefully, uh, for 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 Chelsea. Um, tough, really tough turn of events there. Yeah, I,
0: I think if if you're Chelsea, you do feel a little hard done by that. Um, I I think when when you were the the other point that I had thinking about this game was when you were talking about substitutes for Chelsea. Uh, I think on the other side, thinking about the subs that Ole had for United. He brings on Cavani and Pogba at the same time, and he pulls off Mata and, and Daniel James to really switch up the shape. So they're going now with uh, more of a diamond, I guess, in the middle. So they, they're having Bruno up top, Pogba kind of sitting, mm-hmm. um, I think, in the right with McTominay back and Fred on the left. To a really similar shape. I might have mixed up those sides there, but they are kind of running that diamond like they were that was very successful against PSG, um, and Cavani coming up to offer a little bit more attack up front. So it kind of shifts into being more like a 4-4-2 um, from that point moving forward. And I, I, Cavani came on, and I was, like, pretty intrigued to see. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to develop at United and, like, what he's going to look like as a player there. And almost instantly, I think his first touch on the ball, yes. he just missed the goal. Yes. Like, Bruno got in this great touch to him, mm-hmm. and he, like, just puts it to wide to the left. And and then I don't know if I saw him touch the ball again the rest of the game. And that that was the thing that I was thinking about is, like, you know, Dan James and Juan Mata. Mata had a good chance in the first half. Dan James had a sort of half chance in the first half. But, like, I kind of think with, with those guys, that almost seems like it lends itself a little bit more to pressing. And I thought United at times were trying to press with them a little bit. And I would have been... Putting in Cavani because I feel like Cavani is the kind of. I would have started Cavani and I would have run this 4 4 2.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. I think that that allows you to sit back a little bit. But then, like, you can totally see a Bruno pass freeing up Rashford, Rashford making a great run and being able to find Cavani kind of playing in that, like, Martial role running in and, and, and getting the finish. Like, that I could really see that attack, like, really working. Mm-hmm. But I think Ole was, you know, thinking a little bit more defensively i and and maybe part of that too, and I was wondering about this is just the weather in the game it is raining a lot, yeah. and I think there is probably some sense like you know we gotta be a little bit more conservative, and on a sunny day, maybe this game is is played and thought about a little bit different, but um
1: yeah yeah i I think i, I one one thing I'll note on the subs while we're while you're mentioning it, just that you know Donny Vondebeek still gets zero minutes in this game crazy. And I, I think that when you think about the way that you, like for example, if you want to play the counter, uh, there's nothing that obviously what we just described are a bunch of roles you can put in play to do that. But you can include a player like Cavani who, you know, could, could play potentially in the counter position, but also can be a guy I think who has with his experience and kind of vision for the game, can find like those opportunities to you know run onto a ball and make a flick to goal or you know get a header on it I think he can kind of pick out those moments and if you put in a player like Donny Van de Beek, I honestly think there could be a lot that would gel there because Donnie Vandebeek is kind of a guy who iterates a lot kind of tries things plans to find places and just make it work and I think Cavani could probably read a lot of that off the ball and kind of find the one two to finish there um, and you might have to make another a few changes here and there to make that to make that happen but you know, if you're really looking for speed on the wings as well as the top, you don't need to do all of that all at the same time. You can move Rashford out wide. You cap keep those spaces kind of open for speed and use the top a little bit more as for playing in the box when you do end up there, right? Because, you know, the game naturally finds yourself with possession up there sometimes. And I think Cavani and somebody like Donny Beek would be honestly very effective in there. But you know that's that's for I think uh, hopefully another another iteration and a little more time to see what Cavani does on this team. But uh, yeah, it was. Whew, I'm I'm I'm, off, I'm I'm still steaming about this game. I didn't even know it.
0: Yeah, you you said it really well. You called it the game that could have been the
1: game that could have been. Agreed. That's
0: such a good description for it overall. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I do. I do agree with your take that there was a conservative approach to this game. I think it was the smart approach for both teams. Um, so I don't fault them for that. But this was not a game where anybody came in to kind of siege the castle, and the other team was looking to hold the hold the door. You know, both teams were kind of inviting. I think some pressure. Um, and unfortunately, I honestly, I think unfortunately for Manchester United, Rashford couldn't finish. You know, he had yeah. he had several chances in this game, essentially one on one with true. the keeper. And Mendy, I think, also deserves some credit. He had a great game. Um, yeah, very solid. Always hard to compare with Azpilicueta. <laughs> I mean, Azpilicueta, sorry. Uh, uh, Arzabalaga, Mr. Keppa himself, because, you know, the difference is obviously <laughs> huge. <laughs> but at the same time, I do think just, uh, you know, at a, at a better standard, he still had a very good performance.
0: Think we're gonna take a quick break, listener, and when we come back we're gonna close out with some quick predictions. Okay, listener, welcome back. We're gonna close out with our traditional predictions. Um Rodrigo, wanna start with let's start with guaranteed three points of the week. Where are you seeing a guaranteed three points. Guarante- looking at the...
1: Guaranteed three points. Uh, you know it's funny. My eyes immediately go uh, to Man City, Sheffield United. Um, I three points to Sheffield. Match. GG's, Pep. I I as much as I want to see an upset in that game. City has been struggling, but Sheffield has been struggling more. Um, and I think that's going to just. I think I think City's going to come into that game. They're going to play. Uh, they're going to play their kind of possession style. And you know, Sheffield's going to end up trying to take a chance every now and then on a run, and they're just going to get bullied from behind. Um, and the confidence I think will be high. Uh, and 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 if Aguero plays in that game, especially, like I think they're going to get chewed up.
0: I think that's a good call. Um, I think beyond that game, there are actually a lot of really even games um, coming up. Like I think there are a lot of games I'm excited to see, both in terms of teams with really different styles playing and, and teams that I think are just going to be pretty well matched. Um, for me, I think I'm picking Tottenham versus Brighton as my guaranteed three points. I just think this game reads like Jose will sit back, Brighton is going to try to do their nice-looking attack and play. And then Tottenham is just good enough to defend that, and so much better on the counter, and will really make them pay. Yes, I think Brighton is going to get really suckered into this game. So um, this feels like a, a a runaway win for Tottenham. What about your underdog? Who are you feeling is the yeah the team that might pull a result out?
1: Well, I was I got caught here between between two. Um, I think. I'm gonna go. Oh boy. Well, you know I have to pick one for game of the week anyway, so I'm gonna go ahead and say that I think Leeds is gonna beat Leicester. Um, I, I'm 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 concerned that uh, even if Leicester tries to play something rather cagey, Leeds Leeds is whole loading the spring thing. I don't think they're going to really, I mean, I don't think they're going to care. Um, and I think they might be able to counter. And the question for me is whether they're going to start Vardy or not and how many minutes he's going to be able to get. Um, mm. so that, that's a big thing for me. Um, there's another game that I was looking at, which was Liverpool West Ham, but I'm also a little worried about. Mikhail Antonio being able to make that happen. Um, because he came out of this last game with the, with the hamstring thing. So we'll see, but I'm going to go with Leeds over Leicester. That's
0: a great pick. Um, I think I'm going to really take a a, a big shot in the dark here. I, I'm going to say Newcastle is going to draw or beat Everton this weekend. Mm. Um, Everton is without Richarlison. They're also going to be without Luca Dean. And I think both of those players are really very important to the way that Everton plays. And I can just see um, a St. Maxima, like, really nice goal. I could see this game finishing 1-1. But I think Newcastle is organized enough defensively to shut down Calvert Lewin, who will really be the only threat going forward. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm picking Newcastle to get a result. Love that
1: spicy pick. It's a spicy, spicy pick. Hmm.
0: What about game of the week? Where's your eye
1: going there? Game of the week. Uh, My game of the week um, is is going to be Manchester United Arsenal. Um, I I'm like so. Like kind of confused about whether Manchester United is going to continue to play this way. I know I heard some chatter that they played a kind of completely different formation today um, for their Champions League game, which was successful. So I'm just super curious how they're going to approach this game. And I don't know that I have real evidence to believe this, but I think Arteta is going to hopefully kind of break through <laughs> some of the 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 walls, I think, that he maybe even has put up for himself around how this Arsenal team should play. And I also have this feeling that despite whatever the the style of play will be, um, if Partey is going to get a lot of minutes uh, in this game, which I, I think he will, I hope he will, he might also start to just make it find a way to make an impact. He seems like the kind of guy who might just find a way to make an impact in the game just reading what's going on. So I'm kind of interested. I'm just very intrigued to see what happens in that game. Um, so hopefully it's an exciting one.
0: I, I think that's definitely the game that most people are the most excited about. I have massive existential dread. I know what's going to happen in that game. And <sighs> yeah. Don't even really want to think about it, but um, so in in that spirit, I think actually the game that I'm really excited to watch is Sunday morning. Aston Villa is playing Southampton. Um, I'm really getting into watching the way that Southampton play, playing through the middle of the field, um, playing with a lot of pace, playing with that front two that we talked about. And Aston Villa, you know, this kind of has to be a get-right game for them after a really disappointing loss to Leeds. This is really going to I think, tell us who who Aston Villa are going to be this season. Are they you know, mm-hmm. a hot team that comes out with a start and then kind of falters, or are they a team that has some spine and can, and can bounce back against a really strong Southampton squad? So um, I'm really excited to, for that one. If I were to just throw out a guess for the score, I, I'm saying 2-2. Two, two. I think it will be mm. a, a lot of goals, and uh, I think it will be a fun game to watch. Oh,
1: yeah. Let me throw a score, score on the Man United-Arsenal game. I think that game ends 1-1. Um, and I won't say how or what because I have no fucking clue, but I'm going to say it's going to end 1-1. And I know we didn't mention this game, but I think it does deserve a shout-out, or I mentioned it briefly. The Liverpool-West Hand game on Saturday uh, afternoon should be, I think, interesting. interesting, especially given the personnel issues with Liverpool right now and if Mikhail Antonio is like fit and ready to play he can obviously do damage as we saw this week. So that could be, that could be an exciting game as well.
0: That's a great call. Well, Rodrigo, this was great getting to talk to you as always. Um, Looking forward to these games coming up. We have one on Friday, Friday night football. So um, (laughs) we will be back into the thick of the premier league in no time. Um, So yeah, thank you as always Rodrigo for taking the time to talk and, Looking forward to talking to you again next
1: week. My pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, Let's see what Leeds brings to the table in January. Someone write that down. I'll put it on a sticky note right here so I can keep track of it. All right, see you next week.